Seems a bunch of badasses if you know what I mean They're coming out of the sky, out of the sea And on land gonna take it to the enemy Hey folks, Commander Mark Devine coming at you from Seal Fit and Unbeatable Mind in sunny Encinitas, California. Um, and I'm excited today have, to have a friend uh, as our guest um, who's now a congressman, Congressman Ryan Zinke. Before, we get, uh, before I introduce you more to Ryan and we uh, start chatting, though, uh, if you haven't put your email into our email list um, at sealfit.com, then please do so so you don't miss out any, on any uh, cool stuff that we do. So, Ryan, it's great to see you. I see you got the trident on your lapel there. That, uh, well, great to be here. You know, I wear the trident above the congressional pen because I think at the, at, at the moment, at least, uh, being a former commander has more respect. Than <laughs> I would agree with you. So, man, how's it feel to settle in over there? That's it's pretty exciting to see. I'm, I was rooting for you, and it's totally stoked to see that you, you picked it up, and um, now you've got a whole new, whole new career unfolding back in Washington. Well, it, it is fixable. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, one administration is not going to destroy America. It is fixable, but we're going to change our course of speed. Right. And there's going to be there's going to be I think a showdown soon, and I think that showdown is going to be over the Constitution. You know, and Mark, uh, I remember, uh, you know, we've known each other, you know, most of our careers. Right. And we took an oath to defend right. the Constitution. And we took that oath seriously. Uh, and I took that oath also as a, as a congressman. Right. And whether the president likes or dislikes a bill, he doesn't get the right law. Uh, and so there's going to be, a, I think, a constitutional argument about roles and missions. And I don't think Congress is going to blink Interesting. Well, before we get into any of the, the politics, I want to talk about Ryan Zinke, the man. And you, you mentioned we have uh, we have known each other for a while. My my earliest memory of you is uh, I'm Ensign Divine, and I'm day one at SEAL Training Center in Coronado with Buds, and I'm I'm trotting across the grinder, completely clueless about who I, you know where I'm going and what I'm supposed to do. And and you're standing there with Commander Tom Campbell, and you look at me and you say, "Oh yeah," and you gave me this big finger. So come here, come on over here, Enzyme. And I said, oh, well, nice to meet you, Instructor Zinke. Um, and you said, you know what, Mark, we're all friends here. We're, you know, officers, we're all friends, you know, so you can call me by my first name. My name is Ryan. <laughs> and I said, okay, Ryan, nice to meet you. He goes, and you go, what in the heck are you calling me by my first name for? It's Instructor Zinke to you. Drop down, you maggot. You probably recall that. No, I, I, I remember that. Uh, I also remember you were a pretty good student. Yeah, you know? yeah I'm, I got through those those moments and went on and did okay there. But um, tell me, let, you know, one of my fascinations is leadership and leadership in kind of different, you know, spheres and contexts, you know, because the, the human spirit really kind of is so impacted by the the environment he's in and the, and the instru- you know, institution or, or um um, organizations that they're in, you know, and so what was it like, what lessons did you learn as a leader at BUDS, you know, as a, as a J.O.? Because some of those lessons are super interesting, right, to, especially to folks listening to this, like as a BUDS instructor leading, you know, a, a class through that crucible experience, what were some of your biggest insights back then? And, you know, I, I, I suppose when you, when you look at leadership over the course of a career, uh, leadership is trusting uh, your your people to, yeah. to do the right thing. 
right. and, and not asking anyone to do what you wouldn't do yourself. Yeah, that's a good one. And also understanding that no one's perfect. Right. You know, it's, uh, it's okay to take risks. Uh, those risks can be mitigated uh, to a point, but it's okay to r- risk. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you're going to fail. Right. And failing is okay, provided you learn a lesson about it, you right. analyze it, and you, you're stronger from, from the experience. And I think in many ways, uh, we've gotten too politically correct, uh, too risk averse. Right. And we're really losing the lessons. Right. We're, we're losing the ability to fail. I mean, that's where the whole zero tolerance, you know, really ham, hamstrung the Navy, right? It was well, impossible it, to it, fail. It is that, you know, you, you always want to succeed, but, but how do you succeed is, is you know, life's experience about, about again, in, incurring some risk, right. understanding how to mitigate that risk, and, and then thinking big. Right. Uh, if you lose the ability to innovate and think out of the box, uh, which by definition has some risk to it. Absolutely. Uh, but that's the American spirit is to, is to take that chance uh, because the gains will be much, much bigger, I mean, obviously. Uh, but, you know, the easiest way to fail, I, I think, in my mind, is don't take risk uh, right. because you won't advance the ball down the field and you'll just be one of the pack. So, right. I, again, I think trusting your people Understanding and, and encouraging innovation, thinking out of the box mm-hmm. uh, within within reasonable boundaries, mm-hmm. uh, and then when when people do fall short, you know, analyze why, support them, right, and, and lead by example, right. Now, when you um, became a leader in combat, let's say a Dev Grew, or uh, when when I next saw you again in Iraq in two thousand four, wh- what was different about say combat versus? you know, putting guys through buds or leading back in the state side. I mean, there's some, you know, that context is even higher risk. Um, you got to run even faster. It's even, it's a murky environment. And what uh, principles kind of served you well over there in that environment? Well, you know, there's, there's principles that are universally the same uh, in the SEAL team. Never quit. Right. Uh, take care of your equipment so it takes care of yourself. Sure, uh, but in, in combat operations, you know, the, the risk is not whether you're going to fail in evolution or you're going to chit. Right. It, it, it sometimes is life and death, and the, the stakes are much higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for, you know, the officers, there's, a, there's an enormous responsibility to make sure you don't overlook anything, and you, mm-hmm. you make sure the men, or the guys, and, and in some cases men and women, have the right equipment, the right training, the right rehearsals, mm-hmm. uh, the right intelligence, and the right rules of engagement. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna. That was gonna be my next question. It seems to me that the rules of engagement, even when we were in Iraq together, were starting to get pretty sketchy, and then they just went downhill from there. And then Afghanistan's kind of the point where the guys have to go knock on a door and ask if the bad guy's there, <laughs> which you know is a well, recipe to get shot in the face. Well, and, and I've always been an advocate, and certainly in this job, um, I advocate the chief and the, and the sergeant and, and the junior officers to make sure that we provide you know, the right leadership, the right equipment. Right. Uh, but rules engagement are incredibly important because that's the trust line. And when you're in combat, uh, oftentimes a decision of threat, non-threat, you know, is, is more of, of, a, of your experience as a SEAL, what you right. feel. Right. And it's hard, it's hard to break it down into something that's tangible. 
Yeah. And yeah. you had to trust those individuals that you've, you've shared a lot of experience. That's right. They're on the ground. I mean, did, did you see American Sniper, the movie? Yesterday? You know what? I did. And I think Eastwood did a great job of, right. of telling, you know, uh, Scott McEwen, which yeah. we both know. Uh, I think, you know, he was the leading author that right. told Chris Kyle's story. But right. I thought at the end of the day it was a, a study in a, in a movie about wounds. Right. And also sacrifice. Right. Wounds being... Not only the you know the physical wounds, but the emotional wounds right. uh, of multiple deployments, mm-hmm. a lot of stress, mm-hmm. uh, and then also the sacrifice of the members, but also the family at home. Right. And I, I thought it was a brilliant story uh, that centered on that. Right. I've heard some criticisms from, from a couple team guys, and, and you were you and I were there you know during. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. 2004, and perhaps <clears throat> the accuracy of some of the uh, of the fight scenes and battles, you know, sure. wasn't exactly true. Yeah, yeah. That, but that's that Hollywood. Was, yeah, that happens. Yeah. yeah, but that wasn't the point of the movie. And, and quite frankly, as you know, sometimes we're criticized uh, when we make the 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 movies or the or the documentary too accurate because we're giving away TTP, right. you know, tactics, and procedures. And then, and then when you when you don't do it, it's not accurate. So, right, right. you know, typical team guys. Well, we yeah. like to complain about everything, but at the end of the day, I, I think the movie did a great job yeah. of telling a Chris Kyle story. Yeah, I do too. I mean, the old saying is that a bitch and frogman is a happy frogman. So hey. we'll bitch about anything. <laughs> That's exactly it. And, and you know, what I can tell you, Washington D.C. is much the same. <laughs> I bet it is. Uh, so I'm not done quite with uh, Iraq. I remember um, one thing that really struck me when I was when I first went over there, and I remember sitting in the talk with you at at, uh, at the Jisodif and um, or is that the task group? I can't remember. And and I was still pretty optimistic. I don't know if you remember. I was pretty optimistic about yeah. you know our our job, what we were doing, our ability to really turn things around. And, and of course, this is pretty early on. It's 2004. It was just starting to get nasty then. And I remember you looking at me and said, Mark, this place is a goat rope, and the strategy that we're employing here is not going to work. And it was worse to that effect. Do you remember that? And you had already had a sense uh, that, that things were spiraling I, I, out of control. I do. And, and what I saw was the rules of engagement tightening right. and the level of micromanagement uh, becoming more and more and more. Yeah. So the military is not allowed to go do what it does best. Yeah. Well, and, and we were, you know, at the very beginning, there's a lot of optimism uh, within our, our coalition forces, uh, within the Sunni tribes, mm-hmm. within the Kurds, right. uh, that we were going to be a, a trusted ally. Right. And, and then as time progressed, uh, we either set false expectations or did not meet the expectations that we gave. Right. And what I saw are, are some disenfranchising uh, of the Sunnis from the centralized government that, that we were supporting, uh, there was a lot of uh, of uh, old retaliation and uh, and right. grievances that that seemed to come, and it seemed like every time that we moved three steps ahead, uh, that we'd get stuck in the mud, and then and then other circumstances. So uh, what, what I saw was, you know, the bureaucracy and the movement of of either big government, big mm-hmm. army, big DOD, getting in the way of what would I, what I was uh, thinking would be, you know, faster progress on the ground. Right. 
Remember the Garner plan? I'm sure you do. Garner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, most people either don't know this or have you know forgotten it because it was a, a brief period of time where, you know, while while DOD was still in charge of the show over there, General Garner came in and, and had a pretty sensible plan to um, maintain control. And so what he was going to do is just basically keep the institutions intact, lop off the heads, right, replace them with loyalists, and then create a tripartite government that shared oil revenue, you know, in a, in a proportionate share. It makes a lot of sense, Right. And it, it may have actually worked, but of course the politics started to get into effect, and the State Department said, "Hey, this is you know this war is over, right?" Bush declared victory, you know, on the deck of the aircraft carrier. So um, this is a State Department job because now we're into nation building, and that's when Bremer came in onto the scene, and they literally took a utopian view and said, "Okay, we're just going to recreate a you know democratic society here." And uh, so they dissolved everything, all the institutions, and started from scratch. And, that was foolish, of course, in retrospect, but it was pretty obvious, you know, back when we were there that it was foolish, too. Anyways, I, I, I said that more kind of for ed- edification for the listeners because I think it's fascinating. We really did have a golden opportunity with the Garner Plan to make things right. Well, and when, and when, when what happened was is you force into unemployment. Yeah. You know, the thousands of... The fabric of the structure of, of society. Military, you know, and... and in my opinion, we should have kept the military intact. At least the military. Right? Yeah, the people who know how to shoot the guns to put them back on the street with no food was not a yeah, 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 well, and, and that became the basis of a lot of the insurgency is, right. is that the same guys that we were fighting, you know, a few weeks ago would have been uh, providing stability and an oversight, uh, right. but we disenfranchised them. And that's and that's part of the coalition forces that became dis, disenfranchised. I think we uh, we mishandled what could have been, as, as you as you say, a golden opportunity. Yeah. And over the course of time, those same soldiers uh, that that obeyed orders. I mean, all, all the way up, and all right. you had to do is replace the uh, the speaker at the top, and that's they right. would. Have, yeah. Well, a lot of those guys are in ISIS now. You know, basically that that whole kind of gen, there's a whole generation of guys over there who don't have anything better to do than the run toward the sound of gunfire, and and now you have ISIS just spreading around like a cancer. You know, and whose um, you know whose tentacles run all over the place. It's really hard to put a boundary around it because they don't have one. You know, they are wherever the nearest oil you know rig is or whatever strategic point they want to take over. Boom. You know, it's kind of, if, if there's guns and bullets and automobiles and oil, then they're, they're going after it, right? And there's no doubt that that ISIS is an evil. And it's about ideology. It is. And the challenge for us is to separate the terrorist Islamic threat and radical Islam from mainstream. Right. And in my in my opinion, the only way we're going to do that is it's going to take ground troops like we did in one and two to embed into our our Kurdish allies, the Sunni tribes that will fight with us. Uh, the only way you're going to get intelligence is to have special forces and, and other forces embedded right. and then make sure that our air assets are delivered to the right targets. Right. And then uh, once you embed people, you don't embed just one. You have to embed a, a, you know, a force of strength. And then you have to make sure you have medevac capability, sure. quick reaction force, because you don't want any of our, our, our soldiers out there without support. I mean, that, right. we don't want another Benghazi or, you know, if our guys are in harm's way, we want to make sure that they have the tools and also the resources uh, to not only protect themselves, but, but do their mission. Right. 
So, so do we, here's a, a question um, that's more, I guess, philosophical, but do we, do we declare war on terrorism dead and just start declaring war on, you know, ISIS or actual organizations? I mean, the war on terror obviously has failed. It's, it's just not, a, you know, you can't declare war on a concept. I mean, it was kind of an ill, Ill thought through idea. You know, if you think of any concept we've declared war on, it's just gotten worse. The war on drugs, you know, the war on. Well, it'll be interesting. Uh, the president is going to ask for authorization of use of military force, right? Uh, uh, and the Congress is going to ask, "What is what is his plan? As commander in chief, right. what's your plan?" Uh, because the stated goal is to degrade and destroy. Uh, there has to be some milestones, uh, some achievement markers. How many resources? What are you going to do? Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see it unfold. Uh, it's kind of like, isn't it like fighting water? I mean, if, if we if we drop a huge hammer on ISIS, it's just going to squirt over to Afghanistan and to back into Syria and Yemen and everything like that. I mean, these guys are amorphous. They're just going to go wherever the hell you know. There's least uh, tension, and so how do we? You know, again, how do we defeat that? I mean, just going well, after ISIS in Iraq and Syria isn't. Well, I think I think it it doesn't just consist in Iraq and in, in Syria. You are fighting ideology, right. and I think to some degree uh, it's as much a battle within Islam as it is between East and West. Right, and, and, and that's battle. the point I'm getting at: is how do we mobilize what you call mainstream Islam to fight this? Internally, well, right? Through, well, through cutting sure. off the money and through ideology, and actually getting on the side of the West. I don't, it doesn't seem like they, they are, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, Jordan, they, they talk about it. But. And, and, that, and that, that was refreshing. Of course, you know, it took a horrendous and heinous act of, of burning a pilot alive. Right. Uh, and, and as you know, you, you probably have met King Abdullah as I did. Right. Uh, it will have to be a fight uh, within, a, within Islam itself. But, you know, the U.S. is, is the world's leader. I mean, it, it, everyone looks at what the U.S. is going to do, and a country with great power also has great responsibility. Yes. And, and I think the U.S. does have a significant role to play, and, and that is, and you've seen the forces there, I do think that we need to supply the logistics, the food, the ammunition, the equipment, mm-hmm. uh, air power, which will require our guys, mm-hmm. and, and we need to lead along with our coalition forces. Yeah, uh, and we can eradicate them out of, out of uh, certainly northern Iraq uh, and in Syria. You know, we'll see how far and how fast because uh, Syria is a different dynamic with Assad. We'll see. You know, what our role is right. as as it, as, it, as it emerges. You know, what to do in in, in Syria. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you tactically speaking. I mean, that's all necessary. I, I think part of me as a warrior is just pretty freaking bummed that we're we're literally reamassing forces and and tapping the spigot again to go fight our own tanks and our own guns and our own bullets now being borne by turds who you know basically stole them from our compatriots that we try to train over there well and so that that's just a real bummer and when you look at the wheel that goes round and around you know what i mean We, we we train someone up they lose and all of a sudden we're fighting against you know our our own equipment and, well, and yeah, and, and the strategy and to, that failed, you know, and that, that's to, to to your point that 
that w- this is what happens when you leave on a timeline right. uh, rather than conditions. Uh, you know, for the draw, we, yeah, well we left before we had control of the chemical weapon stocks. Right. We left uh, bef- yeah, we left without putting the mechanism how to help the Kurds who were disenfranchised from the centralized government. Right. We left before we put in place the same w- with the Sunni tribes, many of which you know fought alongside us. Right. Yeah, um, in the in the in the Sunni uprising, right. uh, which was in, in Fallujah, we had help from from you know our fr- our Sunni fr- friends that uh, you know again fought alongside us, mm-hmm. and we didn't uh, we didn't have a process where they felt that they were part of it and they were disenfranchised. Uh, right. But we do need to, I think, re empower and re engage. You know, again, yeah, I think sport. it's an opportunity to do it right, right? I mean, instead of just you know kind of throwing more at the wall and seeing what sticks, an opportunity to actually clarify what is the battle. What are we fighting against? And you identified ideology and extremist individuals or groups. And then to, you know, to actually have a military strategy that has a defined victory, right? Yeah. So if we do, if we're going to do this, do it right and stop, you know, screwing around like we have in the last 10 years. Well, it goes back to leadership. Is that you know leadership as, circle, right? as an individual, uh, as a nation, you you have to lead, right. and and and, I'm, and I'm, this is what happens when this administration doesn't lead. It empowers our enemies because our enemies don't fear us, our allies don't trust us, and it is I think the heart of it about leadership is you do what you say you're going to do, is right. uh, <laughs> and and you show that you're going to lead by example. You show resolve. Mm-hmm. You don't power. Uh, you don't negotiate with with, with terrorists. Um, you know when in back in buds, when a student uh, you know rang the bell three times, you didn't negotiate with them. Yeah, no, they were done, right? Yeah, there 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 are lines in the sand uh, that are not negotiable. Right. Uh, and you know, and I would I would say you know to our original point, the Constitution is not negotiable. Right. Uh, I think your faith, your family. Oh, in Montana, you can probably add guns and coal in there. Right. Not negotiable. <laughs> that is awesome. So, you know, you went from an environment where trust amongst your teammates was unquestioned for the most part, right? In the SEAL teams, for you were there for twenty plus years, and now you're in an environment where, uh, you know, at least I would kind of guess that that doesn't exist. You know, uh, you're not sure who to trust. In the political world, and the and the and the public is not sure who to trust or whether to trust. So, how has the challenge of leadership really, you know, shifted for you now that you're in the public life and you're an elected official of the United States? Well, you, you're right. In the in the, in the polls will show that that Congress has approval rating somewhere probably you know the single digits or or, or, or just so there there is a breach of trust. And I think it goes back to you have to you have to do what you say and say what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that trust is earned; it's, it's not given. That's right. Uh, uh, within the teams, you know, there's shared experiences. Uh, there, there's shared uh, drama. Again, no one is perfect in the teams. No, that's true. Uh, and 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 certainly no one is perfect uh, on the hill. You accept human flaws uh, as they are, but also you you demand. That that you perform to task, and and so there is in the teams. You know, competition's good. Oh, you know, always, you know, who's going to be the best runner, or the best swimmer, and, and while you may not be 
the best at anything. Certainly, I wasn't in, in my career. I can't can't think of you know was not the best explosive expert, sniper, breacher, diver. I can't remember being the best at anything. <laughs> but I know who was. Yeah, and, no kidding. Right, exactly. Is, yeah, we is, can bring those into the fold. Those guys. Well, yeah, and leadership is surround yourself with with people. And I I had. You know, I, I was blessed with, uh, with with the teams and certainly the instructor staff. I thought, you know, I was just honored, you know, to be included in the gang because they were they were really, really good. They had the right commitment. Yeah. They were passionate. All of them wanted to be the best at their designated field. And and my job, you know, in many ways was uh, was to make sure they had that opportunity. Right. Uh, and you know, it's easier to to hold someone back than it is to kick them in the ass. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I felt that in my career uh, that I never had to motivate anyone. I, right. I just had to sometimes, uh, you know, you know, rein in a little, uh, and partly because they're going faster than what, what I could assimilate the data. <laughs> that's pretty good. Now you're you're the only seal that's been elected to Congress to date. Uh, I am the only House member. That's I'm right. The first House member, uh, you may recall on the Senate side, we had uh, Bob Carey, yeah, uh, still Team One Medal of Honor winner. Right. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm the first House member. That's what I thought, yeah. Okay, so when we say Congress, it includes both Senate and yep. the House of Representatives. Got, I got it. So um, I know we got to go because you got a meeting to go to, and I totally appreciate your time. This has been awesome. Wish we could keep chatting. But what is your, you know, to kind of wrap up, tell us what your vision for the future is. I mean, what, what do you see? five years or ten years out for this country and, and our world? Well, you know, actually I'm an optimist. You know, I, I don't think one administration is going to destroy America. I think the only thing that's going to destroy America is us. Uh, the threats we face, you know, Russia, China, you know, neither one of them are, are really a threat compared to, you know, what we've done internally. And we've, I think we've lost in many ways our ability to innovate, and think out of the box. We're very risk averse. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've created a a bureaucratic chain where we have 19 people that can say no before you ever get to anyone that can say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think, you know, on our budget as as big as $18 trillion is, Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to cut our way out per se, nor are we going to tax our way out. We have to grow our economy Mm -hmm. and much of the growth has to do with getting the government out of the way and focusing on what America does best, and that's yeah. innovate. Think out of the box, new products, have some latitude to take risk, mm-hmm. uh, be rewarded for risk, uh, but but you know, and, and not and not ask Washington D.C. that you know their permission uh, for everything. Some decisions are, are better left to the state or, or locally. Yeah. So you know, my goal is to is to kind of unwind. Uh, the propensity for one size fits all mm-hmm. uh, from D.C. Uh, to make sure we have a strong and capable military, to make sure that we accelerate our energy independence. Because I, I think a lot of what we face in the Middle East has to do with our reliance on Middle Eastern energy mm-hmm. and, and being uh, self-independent. You know, uh, of that not being held hostage by foreign oil, you know, it's a big part of our of our play sure. of how we're going to approach the Middle East in the next five to ten years. <clears throat> yeah, that's the subject of a whole another uh, conversation right there. That's a big one. Awesome, but we don't have time for that now. I would um, 
tell you what, I, I challenge you to, to um, uh, organize a, a SEAL fit team building event for members of Congress, and we'll come out and we'll build some team and character out there. Well, I, I, look, I look forward to it. And, Mark, continue what you're doing. Uh, I tell you, you're a great student and a terrific SEAL. And it's just, uh, just an honor, honor to be with you and share some laughs along the way. And yeah. you've done great in, in, in everything you've done in business. And, uh, I, you know, I respect you. And anything I can do in the Hill for you, let me know. Thank you, uh, Congressman uh, Ryan Zinke. And uh, good luck with everything. I'll be watching. And if you need any help on my end, reach out. We're here to help. Um, kick ass and take names. Who ya? Who ya? Lock it low, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back. The pride of the fleets. The bright swinging frogmen of the U.T.T.